The reading today is from Psalm 121. But before we read this, I've got to set the context a little bit. Every year in September, Linda and I make an annual canoe trip up in northern Ontario. We get all our paraphernalia and we put it in a canoe and we sat out into the bush uh, with our family and uh, we look forward to that trip. We load up boy, the, the tent and the sleeping bags and the cast iron frying pan and stove and all of that that goes with it. And uh, one thing that we have to uh, consider is that what we're looking forward to, we look... We anticipate the best, you know, you, you anticipate those sunsets that have such magnificent brilliance, and we anticipate hearing the loons. When you hear a loon call, that's the doorbell of heaven, it just sends shivers down your spine. And uh, <clears throat> in September, there are no mosquitoes and black flies, and hauling in a lake trout on a lure, and then in the frying pan. Magnificent. We anticipate the best, but we're also aware of the risks. So what do you take? Linda being a nurse, she's well prepared. A tensor bandage, an EpiPen for bee stings, uh, other stuff that goes along with being medically smart. And uh, another thing that we have to take along is bear spray for those overgrown raccoons up there. Anticip uh, being, anticipating the best, but being aware of the risks. That's the reality of canoe trips. And uh, that's the reality uh, or the theme that underlies Psalm 121. Anticipating the best and aware of the risks. You have Psalm 121. It's uh, on your bulletin cover if you have a bulletin with you. And we look it over in, in the big picture, and it's considered a traveler's psalm. It's a song of a sense. If you have it in the scriptures, page uh, 965, 966, it's called a song of a sense. It's a story of a traveler making his journey to Jerusalem, and it's likely for the Feast of Passover. And when a traveler goes to Jerusalem and for the Feast of Passover, they anticipate the best, because what's in front of them is gathering together with friends that he hasn't seen for a whole year, because it's only once a year. Uh, there's the, the singing that occurs along the way. You're to, traveling together with traveling companions, and then you sit around the campfire halfway, and you, you share stories. Uh, there's the, the food that you can have when you gather together in, uh, in the temple area. You have feasting. And uh, also the magnificence of the temple when you gather there, the huge uh, structure that Solomon had built and Herod had built, it's something that they really looked forward to. They anticipated the best, but they were also aware of the risks. Because uh, this is a journey that had to be made on foot. 
He looks to the hills. I lift my eyes to the mountains or to the hills. And then he's aware of the risks because you notice how he changes his tone of voice. Where does my help come from? And uh, along the way, he's aware that there could be bandits. It happened to the, the story in the Good Samaritan. The fellow was traveling to Jerusalem and he got hit by bandits. There's treacherous footpaths. There's snakes that can bite. There's wild animals like bears because you remember the story of Elisha, the kids who taunted Elisha and a bear came out of the bush and attacked the youngsters. There's bears, there's uh, lions. And so here's a traveler anticipating the best but also aware of the risks. And then he asks the question, uh, where does my help come from? And as we go through the psalm, as you come down to the end, the Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and going, both now and forevermore. You begin aware that this, the psalmist is looking at more than just a trip to Jerusalem. The word mountains and the word hills becomes a metaphor for life. By the end of the psalm, the traveler has lifted eyes to the journey of life his walk of living his whole life through and scanning life's journey. He is aware coming and going. The Lord's got him covered. There are things to anticipate the best, but there are also risks. And the hills that mentioned in verse 1 is just a way of saying life. I look at left, what's ahead in my life and there's stuff that intimidates, gives me anxiety, creates fear. There's accidents, your foot will slip, uh, the sun will cause sunstroke, the moon will have some impact on you, and uh, Psalm 121 then becomes a reflective psalm. You notice that there are hyphens in the psalm? For every one of these scenarios, he makes a statement, and then there's a hyphen. The hyphen says, if you're reading this out loud or to yourself, you've got to stop here. And you've got to have a conversation in your heart, in your spirit. You've got to mull this over. The statement that you just made, you've got to stop. Before you run on to the next phrase, you've got to think. The hyphen is there to make us stop. When we read the psalm out loud, we've got to think and have a conversation in our spirit. We lift our eyes to the hills. Wow. There's some risks there. I see stuff that intimidates me. Bandits. Snakes. Bears. Treacherous trails. Big stuff. It's reflective thinking. Before you set out in life, there's reflective thinking. It's the kind of stuff we still do today. A young couple, they mortgage their house to the hilt because they want to start a small business on their own. They want to be self-employed. So they mortgage their, their home. They have to borrow money from the bank. They've got to get equipment. And there they go with heart in their mouth into this venture, not knowing for sure whether it will succeed or not. And I can well imagine them having sleepless nights 
because there is no phone call from a customer saying, I need your business or I need you to do a job for me. And I can well imagine that they are uh, at the end of the year calculating their losses and their gains and they're thinking, ooh, is this worth it? There are so many risks and there are uh, this, this heart-searching anxiety that occurs, that kind of uh, thinking that we do it in middle age when you are suddenly faced with a heart attack and they do uh, a cardiogram and you, they discover that you've got to have quadruple bypass and there you are in hospital bed uh, the night before the surgery and this question is asked you, where is your help come from? And it's a reflective thinking. It's a conversation you have inside yourself. This was the situation when my dad had his first heart attack and he faced surgery and we visited him and that's the first time I saw my father cry. It was such a tremendously stressful, intimidating time. He came to search the very center of where is his hope. Or when you face life alone after many years of marriage and then your husband or your wife is taken from you, it's, you're gone, and then you realize that what's ahead of you is a whole new life. You have to reinvent yourself. You ask the question, where's my help come from? This conversation... The hyphen means you've got to have this conversation inside yourself. And what we have in verses 3, 5, and 7, he will not let your foot slip. The Lord watches over you. Uh, the sun will not harm you by those situations. The psalmist brings to mind a foot slipping, the burning sun, the menacing moon. There's a response to these situations. But the question is, Is he telling the truth? Your foot will not slip. The Lord will not slumber nor sleep. The question is, is the psalmist telling the truth? I visited an elderly gentleman in a previous congregation, Peter Holtrup by the name, and uh, he had stepped out his front door one morning and slipped on something and fell down the concrete steps and broke his hip. So being a dutiful pastor, I went to visit him and we had a nice conversation and I asked him, could I read a psalm for him? Yeah, pastor, you can do that. Read Psalm 121. Well, I wasn't that familiar with Psalm 121, so I wasn't aware of what's coming. And when I came to the phrase, he will not let your foot slip, I looked at him and he had this mischievous grin. <laughs> but that situation was just a light version of the pastor's dilemma when he runs into pastoral situations where there is great grief. And you are to be the ambassador of God, and you've got to speak for God, and you've got to speak of God's care and God's providence, and the, the person stares you in the face, and you really don't know what to say. This is the pastor's dilemma when he realizes that I have no words of comfort and hope for the situation. 
This is where a lot of folks run shipwreck on their faith because there's a testimony of what God does and then there's the reality of what has happened to them. Your foot did slip. You did get cancer. Someone did die. You did have financial losses and your testimony is that the Lord covers you and he cares for you. Then folks make shipwreck of their faith and so you ask the question, is the psalmist telling the truth? And let me tell you how you possibly could work through this this dilemma. Maybe this will help. I'm from farming background, and maybe you can follow this farming illustration. I have a brother-in-law in southern Alberta. He's a successful farmer. He has cash crop farming. He's got sugar beets, wheat, hay, potatoes, uh, beans. He's got uh, something like 1,600 acres or more. And uh, he's very successful in his business. But some years, it is very difficult to do farming because... Uh, some years you get drought. And one year he had potato blight and 600 acres of potatoes were suspect and they couldn't use them at McCain's. Some years it's too wet. Some years it's too windy and the winds blow the topsoil like in the dirty 30s. Two years ago when we went visiting him they had a tornado just go by their skirt, their farm and a huge hailstorm came and wrecked 60 acres of beans. And just this past Friday, a hailstorm destroyed crops in the Credit Stratford area. And <clears throat> one year in August 1992, August 16, I think it was, we got a picture by email of the kids building a snowman on their front lawn. It's 60 centimeters of snow in August. And I say, Dan, why do you do this? You bang your head against the wall as a farmer. <laughs> you invest millions of inputs, the crops, the seeds, the hours, the gas, wear and tear in your machinery. And what do you get after it? It's destroyed. It's lost. You lose millions. Why don't you come to southern Ontario and grow chickens or something like that? Something a little stable. And he said, yeah, it's true. It is a risky business. But farmers don't farm according to the weather. They farm according to the climate. You have to make a distinction between weather and climate. Weather is something you live with. Weather is something that hits you in the face when you walk outside, where it's hot, cold, wet, dry. Weather is something you can't predict. Weather is there. It's the, re the reality that you face. But climate is something else. Climate is predictable. Climate is predictable. And climate is what farmers count on. And we're here in southern Alberta because of the climate. 
it is a wonderful climate for farming. And we don't farm according to weather. If we farmed according to weather, we would quit after every hailstorm. We would quit after every uh, tornado. We would quit after every <coughs> disaster that would hit. But we farm according to climate. And even in March, if there's a snowfall, late snowfall in March, you still keep working on your seed drill and getting it ready to, for the spring planting. And when you've had a bad year, you hunker down in the wintertime. You lick your wounds and lick your losses. And in the spring, in the spring when the warm Chinook winds come off the mountains and then you hear the snow geese flying overhead and they're honking away and you feel the warmth of the sun on your face and you dig your hands in the soil and you smell it and it smells rich and new and your blood begins to stir and you say, yes, it's going to be a good year. And then in that courage of that awareness that the climate is coming to a spring, a new year, you fire up the old John Deere and you go. Are there farmers who understand what I'm talking about? You know what I'm talking about. Every gardener has it. And uh, <clears throat> even so, it's climate that doesn't change. It's the climate that gives you confidence for farming despite the weather. And even so, in the psalmist's life journey, it's the climate of God's care that gets him covered coming and going. Verse 3, the hyphen focuses on the awareness of the climate of care. My feet will slip. In verse 5, I will get sick. In verse 7, God's got me covered. It reminds me of a, a child in the middle of the night woken up with a terrible nightmare. The nightmare is the child's reality. The nightmare is a child's re waking up, almost sweating and crying out for mom. And mom puts on her robe and sits on the child's bed and hugs her frightening, sobbing child and whispering in the child's ear as she rocks the child, don't worry, sweetheart. Everything's all right. You're going to be okay. You're going to be okay. How can the mom say that? How can the mom say it? Is she telling the truth? Does she not have to tell her child, look, child, you're going to grow up in a world that's going to intimidate you. You will grow up in a difficult world. It will be hard to find a job. You're going to face illnesses. Is not the mother supposed to tell the child the truth? But when the mother hugs the child and whispers in the child's ear and rocks the child to a calm peace again and says, everything's all right, everything's okay, is she not testifying to the climate of God's care that underneath are the everlasting arms and that she has to instill in the child the courage to get up in the morning and to face these things that are going to cause her to doubt? And have anxiety. Give her the courage and the confidence to say, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Even though I face these things. I think that's what the mother is trying to say. You will be taken care of. And this is what the psalmist is saying in Psalm 121. He's confessing his profound courage and confidence that underneath, around, and above me is the care of God. And with Paul in Romans 8, he can say, I face danger, 
peril, nakedness, sword, hardship, persecution, death, life, angels, principalities, powers, and nothing, nothing can ever separate me from the love of Christ, love of God in Christ Jesus, my Lord. He's testifying to the climate of God's care, even though they go through bad weather. I think of Jesus here in this situation. We go to Luke 9.51, Clarence, we can. Luke 9.51. Luke is the gospel of a journey. It's mentioned many times that Jesus sets his face to Jerusalem. Jesus is going on a journey. He's resolutely set out for Jerusalem. In the original Greek, it said, he set his face as flint to Jerusalem. He's on a journey, but he knows what's ahead of him. And Jerusalem is up on the hill, of course. It's just like the psalmist going in Psalm uh, 121. He knows what was coming. The bad weather, the storms of the crowd shouting, crucify him, crucify him. The bad weather of Judas's betrayal. The bad weather of Peter's denial. The bad weather of torture of the soldiers, the whipping and the spitting and the hitting and also the bad weather of stumbling up the hill of Golgotha, carrying his cross, being nailed there, and the bad weather of him crying out, I thirst, I thirst! And even so, the descent into hell, and he cried out, My God, why have you forsaken me? And yet, Hebrews 12, 1 and 2, Clarence, Jesus, who for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down on the right hand of the throne of God. He knew that even in all that he faced, God was going to come good with his promise. And on the third day, it was. He, res he was resurrected. And... <coughs> That was the joy that was set before him. He endured the cross, despising its shame. And that was what gave him joy. And uh, if you're in a spell of bad weather now, if you're in a spell of bad weather and you're hunkered down and you're really wondering and searching for yourself. You're in that hyphen. I'd give you this word from 1 Peter. 1 Peter 1. In his great mercy, God has given us new birth into a living hope. I need to remind us all that we live with hope. Not in virtue of our own strengths, we have a living hope, a hope for living through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. This affirmation of God to his son, the climate of giving him a whole new life, is ours in Christ Jesus. We have a living hope. And that will sustain us through this time when you have to hunker down and you have to squint to see the mercy of God through your tough tough stuff. 
And <clears throat> this is an affirmation that as your journey goes forward, there will come a time when you will feel it's mysterious, you will hear, you will sense there's a fresh wind blowing. There's something happening which is lifting my anxiety and my fear. It's not over. You can begin again. You will hear the music of the promises of God. And you start saying to yourself, you know, after all I've gone through, I can still say life is good. And you begin to smile. And you have hope again. And you have the strength for a new day. This is the word of the Lord. Can you say amen?